Anyone's Game podcast. Following women's football. Hello and welcome to the Anyone's Game podcast, where we look back on another exciting Sunday of action in the SWPL 1, as well as the prospect of the return of the SWPL 2. Celtic came from behind to beat Hibs, a result that sees them cap off a week of three victories to keep them on the tails of Glasgow City and Rangers at the top end of the table. Rangers blew four for Farmington away, bouncing back in style from their loss to arch-rival Celtic in midweek. Spartans defeated Motherwell at Ainsley Park in a result that sees Debbie McCulloch's side sitting comfortably in fourth place, and league leaders Glasgow City saw off bottom of the table hearts for victory in Edinburgh. My name is Robbie Hanrati and I'm delighted to be joined by Aberdeen manager Emma Hunter and Anyone's Game pundits Peter Quinn and Colin Faulkner. Welcome to the show. How are we doing, folks? Good, thanks. Fine, thank you. Thanks for having us on. I'm delighted to have you all. So, Emma, we're looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the SWPL2 returning, with your side currently leading the table with nine wins out of ten. But first, we will we shall do our getting to know you questions. No, no problem. Crack on, that's fine. I'll try and answer most of them. <laughs> so, Emma, where are you from originally? I, I'm born and bred in Aberdeen, yeah, so I've always lived in Aberdeen. Living the dream. Born in Aberdeen, although I spent a lot of time in Sweden and the US. Yeah, living the dream in Aberdeen. <laughs> Uh, I'm an Aberdeen loon too, so it's a, it's a dream to speak to an Aberdeen manager after speaking to your captain a few weeks ago, Kelly. She was brilliant addition to the podcast. Yeah, Kelly's really good at um, doing those sorts of things and just really getting into our podcast, especially since lockdown, so I'm sure she enjoyed it as well. Okay, so Emma, how did you get into football in the first place? Did you play football or was it straight into coaching side of things? Nah, I think I'd probably say it's that cliche thing where you'd probably say, oh yeah, I was probably just born to be involved in football. I don't really have any recollection of not playing football in terms of I think I started so young that like I don't even remember how it first started. So um, probably as young as five and six in the garden with a football really. Um, I could say it was maybe my dad. I know he, he liked football a lot as well, but that's all I've really ever known. Um, and just right from a young age, just played with the boys and, and just got out and did the street football, get the jackets down and go to the local park and, and play from the minute you get home from school till it gets too dark to see the ball anymore. I uh, Yeah, th- that's what it's all about. And how, how did you go from that transition to playing football all these years to ending up coach of Aberdeen Football Club? Yeah, I think probably just with um, the type of person that I was and my love for football, it was probably always just going to be a career in football in some capacity. So just my absolute love and devotion for the sport, like I would just live and breathe it from a really young age. And I guess as a youngster, I just dreamed of being an Ian Jess or a Scott Booth from Aberdeen, obviously. Um, and then you've got your Ryan Giggs probably and David Beckham when you were looking up to at Man United. So... I've always just dreamed that I would be one of them and never really thought I'm a girl and that's not possible, which is maybe quite a nice thing that I was that naive. Um, and then I guess like I've always just been really sporty, so um, followed sort of a career in sport, um, went and did um, HNC, HND in sports coaching, uh, was offered a full scholarship to go to the US, so that took me abroad to the United States. I played there for four years and Basically, I did coaching during the summer, trying to keep myself going and 
generate a bit of income to see my my, my college days out and I guess like I always had a, that side of me and always enjoyed coaching from a really young age so it was probably always a direction I was going to take so yeah just probably naturally when I came home started picking up the odd job and doing a bit of coaching on the side so I would always just top up doing some coaching in the evenings and and then probably only started really thinking about it seriously after I did my B license um, and got involved with the SFA did some work for sort of like high performance in terms of like coaching regional squads and then the national squads etc so um, that was really when I probably started to think about maybe a coaching career it always just been sort of sport development jobs and and things like that previously so and you speak about obviously being in America doing all these things working with the national team but what is your greatest achievement in the game so far mm. I probably think there's like a lot of things that I look back on and think that was a huge achievement I think um playing career-wise I, I think like always repping your your country was huge and I think as a coach you can't even beat that either so I would say both of my highs were that experience of playing for the national team and coaching the national team so probably I'd played um, under 16s and then under 20s I think an under 20 national game against Wales was the first ever sort of women's under 20 game and I remember scoring the first goal against Wales so that was probably a highlight for me um, and then also just probably walking out with your team when you're coaching them, your national team, and singing that anthem as a coach. And I think when you get older, you appreciate it more than when I was younger. And probably brings me to tears now <laughs> thinking about actually doing it for my country as an older an older person. In the young days, it was kind of not cool to sing the anthem, but <laughs> as a coach, I was belting it out. So, yeah, I think those are the two moments for me that really probably my highs in terms of coaching and football really is your I'm, I'm a proud Scots woman so you can't get any better than that I that, that's what I love because we had a podcast with Leanne Crichton and she was saying that how every single one of those female players like when they be no matter what the game they want to turn up play for the country and they all sing because we always ask that do they mind to the anthem or do they belt it loud and proud when the cameras come on to them so that was pretty good. Yeah, I think I think back in the day when I did it, we got away with it because there was no cameras. But I think like now for sure, um, and I think like as you as you get a little bit older, you always get that little bit prouder. I think when you're younger, you don't appreciate um, what it means to represent your country. So I think like as time goes on, you actually just you know become stronger and stronger. Your team Aberdeen in the SWPL two. I've been sitting on the sidelines since mid December. How have you felt about your team being left out in the cold with while SWPL one has returned? Yeah, do you know what guys like it's really it is really challenging and there's no denying that. I think um you've it's been a roller coaster of emotions. It really has, and I think like and that's just from just my perspective, I can only imagine what it's like for the players and I think there's also a forgotten group as well here that we talk about SWPL two, but there's a whole host of players underneath that as well that have played football even less than us and um, so I think it's been really frustrating for everyone but we're in a pandemic and uh, I mean it's really difficult but you've, you can only control the controllables and that's something at the 
at the team that we're trying and trying every week to try and just, you know, have that in our mind that, you know, don't try and get frustrated or don't get frustrated by the things you can't control at times. So, um, I mean, I think we're all desperate to get back and I think seeing SWPL1 happening has not helped and you see that happening and, it is, you know, you're just itching to get back. But I think it's on the horizon and I think we're we're prepared to get back. And sometimes these things are out of the hands of others as well. It's difficult for everyone at the moment. So um, I think we've all been really patient and we're now just really, really itching to get back now. It's been five months and it's been far too long. Yeah, for sure. Well, Kelly Forrest told us about you playing in set, training in separate groups and in non-contact training. Is all your players based in Aberdeen? Because we spoke to Lisa Swanson from Kilmarnock and she said that none of them could train because too many players were all over the place. Yeah, and it was still the same for us. So this week's our first week back all together, which will be a nice feeling. We didn't have a huge amount of players that were unable to go, which kind of sometimes makes it worse because there was only like maybe three of them that were totally left out, um, which was yeah. difficult. Um, so yeah, they all returned this week, but we've tried to do what we can in terms of like where we can. We would have we set up a couple of extra sessions on the side and and got them taken over where we could, but. I mean, we can only do so, so much in the current circumstances. And it's like that thing when you're waiting for something, it feels like ages. But once you've got it, it feels like you've not waited any time at all. So when they return this week, it'll feel like no time at all, really. And, and they'll be even more buzzing to get back. As you say, they're buzzing to return. But have you, like, what's the latest? You obviously, you're a manager, you're involved at Aberdeen, what's the latest? What are you hearing on the return? Are we going to get an earlier return than expected for the SWPL2? I think the, the conversations that have been relayed back to me from the club have been really positive. I think, um, obviously, if you look at current guidance at the moment, it does suggest that contact resumes from the 17th of May. Um, and judging on you know what's been happening so far about reaching those those moments in time in terms of um the dates they've all sort of panned out and they've they've worked so i think that's what we're aiming for is an uh, a start date of the return of 17th as a we can get back to contact training and then we're really hopeful that you know just after that we can then resume the, the season that um there is always that hope that you know at times nicola or you know, the people that are making those decisions are, are making that slightly easier, slightly earlier. So I think, like, things are really positive at the moment. If, and if anything, it, we're, we're hoping that it could be even slightly earlier than that. So we're, we're just planning to be ready as soon as that, that date's given and it comes out. We'll we'll just make sure that we're ready and, and set to go, to be honest. And um, with Fran Alonso kind of mentioned when the SWPL1 came back that... Um, there was a, a bit of a problem getting back up to speeds, to match speed quickly enough. Um, how how long do you think it would take between coming back into training for you to be happy going back and resuming the league season again? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a totally different situation, I think, and it's hard, like, it's, it's almost impossible to make that call, but I think because we have been back non-contract training for so long now, and it's not... It's not like we haven't been able to be on the pitch at all. I think that time could be reduced. I think you can always have more preparation in terms of um, contact fixtures and friendlies. 
However, I think in the current situation that we're in, and based on the amount of time we've been non-contact training, I think most clubs are just eager to get that that matches up and going. So realistically, we're probably thinking a couple of weeks. Um, in an ideal world, you'd probably want more than that. But let's face it, guys, it's not been an ideal world for over a year now. So um, we've we've almost got to adapt, haven't we? And I think like that's why I love working at at the club and I love the team that I coach because I do think that we are really adaptable and we, we've we been through this already where we came out of a lockdown and went into games and then got locked down again and from my perspective we were really professional about it and I think that's why we started the SWPL2 so well is because we were prepared and I feel like we've done that again this time we've not stopped even when we weren't allowed on the pitch we were doing um, training virtually um, two, three nights a week and, and plus doing a little bit of analysis work on Zoom so we've never stopped so um, for us the longer we wait in terms of that preparation time um, the more risk there is of it we don't get the season finished so I think we've all got to adapt and we've all just got to be prepared to to do what we can to get football resumed and the SWPL2 finished Aye well Hamilton assistant manager Robert Watson last week uh, mentioned that He'd spoke to a lot of teams who had said that Aberdeen sprung them by surprise this season. You currently lead the table by seven points. Are you confident that you can lift the trophy if the game, if the season resumes? Um, if you if you talk to if anyone talks to me, I'm always really nervous and always um, anxious about it at the start of every season, at the start of this lockdown, and at the start resuming this lockdown. I'm nervous, of course. Um, I think that's just a sign of like the type of person I am that like I never expect us to be the best or to win games easily or to to win the league that's never um, my feelings but I also think that's a strength that we've got as well is, is that we, we don't ever take anything for granted and I think being nervous is a good thing um I'm surprised that we've sort of sprung people by surprise because I guess we're Aberdeen Football Club right and we've been in Aberdeen Football Club or Aberdeen Ladies has been in the top flight for decades. Um, and unfortunately, we just, they, I say we, it, it wasn't myself, but when they were Aberdeen Ladies, they just, you know, had a, a quite a bad few seasons. And I think, like, there was always that ambition to get back. So I think, like, we, we've just built up with the club and I think we should have always been on people's radars to be honest but that was fine by us we were happy to be underdogs and and um, come out fighting and yeah I think we've got such a good team at the moment I think we're really young um, but we've we've definitely come together as a group and we've, we've definitely got a great team and the, and the future's looking really exciting so yeah, I think like we'll be prepared to come back this season and we're never going to take a game for granted and we're we're going to do everything that we can to get into the SWPL1 because that's the ultimate goal for us. And while we speak about Aberdeen, just out of interest, you're now training at Coimac Park, the new state-of-the-art facilities on the out just outside Aberdeen. What's it like training there in being amongst the facilities, do you feel a bit closer to Aberdeen Football Club as a whole and the men's teams, or has COVID kind of hampered that recently? Yeah, I think like we were really fortunate. I think it was only 
maybe I think six months that we didn't have Cormac Park when we actually affiliated with the with the actual club. So um, when we came in, we, we, we were blessed with Cormac Park quite early on. But I guess we did have an experience of both where we weren't on site with the rest of the club. Um, and 100%, it makes a huge difference in terms of just feel it. You feel like that one club and, and we've got this mantra that we use all the time called one team and that's everything we talk about is about one team and I think it certainly feels like that when you're at Cormac Park and it's it's an inspiring place to train. Um, it helps with retention, I think, um, with players and hopefully with recruitment as well, it helps. So um, it's huge and, and it's not only just for us probably seeing the first team or Aberdeen or the Youth Academy or the 18s the training facility actually allows like the community use as well so you get a young girls team that are local training next to you and that's inspiring to us because we actually want to inspire the next generation and so I think like just turning up to training and I know this sounds silly but just even having that young girls training next to us makes us work harder because that's part of our our philosophy is and our values is to to be role models for younger players so i think i mean it's a fantastic facility we're lucky um we've definitely not been able to use it as much during covid um but i guess with covid we're all just in the same boat really it's not i don't think there's many clubs getting access to a lot of facilities at the moment so um and look that's something that you know sometimes you take things for granted so when it gets taken away you miss it and when it comes back you'll definitely never um you'll definitely never let that go again so i think like we'll just appreciate everything when it comes back for sure and that's including the use of the facilities and when i say that we still get to use the pitch but we're not getting to use the gym and the changing rooms and access to the to the media rooms etc so uh, yeah i can't wait till that day happens i don't know how far off that is to be fair like but we'll see let's take a look into sunday's swpl1 games we will start with hibbs's visit to k park to play celtic a game I was at for anyone's game. Hibs took the lead through an Amy Gallagher free kick. Celtic equalised right on the stroke of half-time from Kate Nicholson. Then a Chloe Craig penalty and Sarah Ewan's strike ensured all three points for Fran Alonso's side, capping off a perfect week. Hibs came out on the... I was at the game, so Hibs came out on the front foot, which did take me by surprise. Collette Kavanagh hit the post after just three minutes. And the scoreline could have easily been 3-0 Hibs at the break with the chances they had. Perhaps Chloe Logan, the Celtic goalkeeper, could have got a stronger hand to Amy Gallagher's opener. But the Hibs start done well to get the ball up and down to score, considering how close she was to the goal. Do you think Celtic's players maybe underestimated Hibs in the first half, Peter? I think it's quite possible, yeah. Uh, obviously they're on a bit of a high following the Rangers result in midweek. Um, the thing is, well, Hibs again. Uh, I was at their game against Glasgow City in midweek. Hibs started well there too, um, so it was probably a little sloppy from Celtic if they did uh, let Hibs take them unawares. Um, but again, I, th- I think just c- coming in, Celtic gradually grew into the game. I think that um, getting that goal just for for half time certainly uh, made a massive difference to how the game panned out. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that because I managed to. I watched also the highlights from that game because I wasn't at it, and I was actually really surprised when I saw that 
for the first twenty five minutes there wasn't anything from from Celtic in in the highlights package on sports scene. There was there was nothing. It was all it was all hibs. I think they did definitely take them by surprise. Maybe a wee bit of a, a hangover from the result midweek. Um, possibly, but Hibs definitely looked on on the front foot. And and again, what Robbie said that they could have could have easily been easily been three before the kind of it was a, a bit of a fortunate goal, wasn't in the end up before half time, Robbie. Yeah, yeah, it, it was indeed. I think I, I said it was Kate Nicholson that scored, but it possibly was an own goal. But with Celtic putting a dampener on Dean Gibson's Hibs halftime team talk by scoring so close to the halftime whistle, do you think that takes a lot out of the players mentally, Emma? Yeah, I think, like, obviously, I think, like, right on the stroke of halftime, that is really difficult. And I think, like, as a manager, you're, you've obviously got a lot on your mind that you're going to say and then suddenly a lot of that can change as well so it can sometimes mean that you know you've got to pick them up a bit more than you thought you had to but for me I just think generally Hibs are slightly underestimated this season and I think the position that they are in the in the league doesn't justify them as a team I think um, they've had they've been really unlucky in terms of quite a, a few bad injuries and they've got quite a few young players that are, are breaking into the Hibs team but I think they're all they're all just trying to to fight every game. I think Hibs and I think for Celtic, I think it's quite easy to get up for a game against Rangers. Obviously, it's Celtic Park, but it'll be really critical to them that they can approach every game with that same attitude. So it actually didn't surprise me that maybe Hibs just just uh, caught them out a few times to start with, just to to get that tempo on them. Because yeah, I, I do think that. Hibs will probably grow as the season grows, um, and I think they've they've also got quite a lot of young players, and as Celtic do as well. Kate Nicholson obviously is a young player, but yeah, I think Hibs are, are an underestimated team. I think they've been quite unlucky um, to be in the position that they are in the league at the moment. So I wouldn't underestimate them, and I think like any team in the in the top half will have a hard game against Hibs, so um, it could be critical for them. Yeah, I, m- I must say, even though Celtic came out in quite slow in the second half, the front three of Jacinta, Sarah Ewans and Mariah Lee, who made a first start for Celtic, was frightening. It was like Fran Alonso. I don't know what he said at halftime, but that goal just spurred them on to look completely different team. There was players that weren't afraid to take players on, and that showed when Mariah Lee's shot was a judge to have hit the arm of Joel Murray, and the referee pointed to the spot allowing Chloe Craig to step up and slot home to then put Celtic in front. Dean Gibson was furious at that penalty decision. Did any of you see the decision to award the penalty? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. What was your thoughts on it, Colin? It's it's one of those ones. I've seen them given. I've seen them given from non-league football all the way up to World, World Cup. Finals, do you know what I mean? That those those kind of players, you always feel hard done by if it goes against you, but you feel as if it should have been a penalty if you get it. It's it's one of those ones that the the arm was slightly away from her body, uh, from her body, so you can see why it's she's it, it's what well, it is really hard to kind of you're either. The referees, that you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. With the referee, one side is always going to feel hard done by, and uh, for me, 
I would have gave it as a penalty purely because of where where the arm was positioned. I think particularly as well the fact that the arms were behind the back to begin with, and then kind of moved out as the shot came in didn't help or it gave it a, a slightly worse look than it would have otherwise, uh, and kind of possibly made the referee's mind up for him. Yeah, for sure. I I have to agree as much as. That Dean Gibson and Joel Murray pleaded to me in the interviews after the game that it was not a penalty and I got told that I maybe need to ask questions of the referees because they don't explain the decisions because Hibbs felt it was hard done by also on Wednesday night. You watched the game, Peter, when Pencilla Chinchilla won a penalty. What happened there? Yeah, yeah so uh, my memory serves right. Chinchilla kind of cut inside... Um, and beating one or two players, um, there maybe wasn't massive amounts of contact to bring her down. Um, I think, though, it was you know, a case of the, the momentum that she had driving into the penalty area. Um, the, the challenge, it it looked it looked clumsy at the time. Um, like I said, not certain uh, how much contact there necessarily was. Um, but I, I wasn't I wasn't surprised to see it given uh, midweek and like I said I definitely think the the one at the weekend um, t- to me looked like a penalty as well. So as Emma said, like refereeing decisions aside, I do think Hibs deserve immense praise, uh, even though they've not picked up any points in the last three games. They played three full-time clubs and been very unlucky in every game they've played, but. The overriding factor is they've only won one out of the first five games since the restart, but three of the next four games are against sides below them. Peter, Hart surprised them last time by winning the reverse fixture. Hibs play them next. Do you think this is vital, Hibs win that game for the race for fourth? Certainly in terms of the race for fourth, I, th- I think it's important that they win it. I don't think they can afford to, to be any further behind Spartans at this point in the season. Um, I, I agree, they've had a, a rough time of it with fixtures recently, some some difficult games, and I think they've actually acquitted themselves pretty well for the most part. Um, we've seen plenty of teams, you know, lower down the table, take some serious, serious beatings off the kind of the top three sides in particular. Um so they, yeah, they, they've done well. They competed, um, and as I mentioned earlier, they, they're missing a fair few players, um, as shown by kind of the numbers that they're, that they're trying to scramble together for their bench uh, week by week. Um, so yeah, I, I think they're, they're they're doing a good job. I think their their luck has to turn at some point, um, with the the talent that they have uh, and the the organisation that they have in their team. I can see them doing better pretty soon. And for Celtic, victories over Spartans, Rangers and Hibs this week will do the confidence the world of good. Do you feel they have shown they can still win the title, Emma? I mean, I think it's difficult to write any of those three off at the moment. I think any of the three could take points off each other. So I think, yeah, I don't think you could write any of the three off at the moment. Obviously, City obviously look really good as well in terms of like their confidence. I think... Um, Fran, I already touched on it. It's just about keeping that momentum going and, and making sure that you go into each game with that same professionalism, that same attitude as, as you do every week, no matter who you're playing. And obviously, again, you'll probably talk a little bit about this, like Rangers playing Forfer. They just were relentless and that didn't take their foot off the gas. And I think, like, they're, you know, in the, in the SWPL1, I think teams now, you know, 
can take points off each other, and I think that's going to be the the big thing. Is is it who can who can be the most consistent, who can stay on top and be confident for that that long period of time? And and yeah, I think you can't write them off Celtic, and obviously that the the win against Rangers is huge for them, and it gives them a lot of confidence to to say like that they can go on and do it again and against other teams. So. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they'll they'll take a lot of confidence from that, and I, I definitely think you can't. You're not going to write them off, and I think they've almost felt like they've had a point to prove in terms of. I think they've felt that they've not been given the, you know that um, that kudos that they could win the league. I think they've always felt that it's always been considered Rangers and, and City. So I think they've got the, the the grip between their teeth a little bit with that, and using that as their catalyst to. To, to prove people wrong and and I think that can go a long way when you're when you're battling there so that's something that Fran will probably remind the players of a lot to get get the best out of them so yeah I think um they've got a lot of quality um on the pitch and I know that you know they're exciting in terms of like how they go forward and, and the players they've got on their team but I also think probably what's What's really good about them is defensively they look really good with the the centre backs there that look really really strong together. So I think defensively as well they look really strong and that's helpful as well obviously in this league. So hundred percent I think what I've seen of Celtic I think they've got a really good chance. So on the topic of the title race, Rangers scored eleven goals with no reply against four for Farmington at the Rangers training centre. Doubles from Lizzie Arnott, Zoe Ness, and Brogan Hay, coupled by a hat trick from Sam Kerr and strikes from Sonia O'Neill and Claire Gamble ensured a miserable afternoon for Kevin McGreskin's girls. Rangers boss Malky Thompson even sprung a surprise with his team selection, handing goalkeeper Megan Cunningham her first start of the campaign ahead of Scotland international Jenna Fife. Peter, how important was it for Rangers to bounce back after the old firm defeat in midweek with such style? Massively important, I think. Um, I think... A lot of people uh, had been surprised by by the result midweek um, with the form that Rangers have been putting together, and I think this was just the absolutely perfect way to, to bounce back from it. Um, we've kind of commented before um, on, on the podcast uh, about how strong they are both sides of the pitch, and again, you know, it, it didn't seem from the from the highlights and and the reports that Forfar Farmington were able to make much of an impact going forward in this game. Uh, and of course the, the the Rangers attacking players are when they get going like they did uh, in this match it's it's really good to watch. Um, I also I saw them uh, a couple of weeks ago dismantle Spartans defence, which up to that point had been one of the best in the league. Um, and when you have players the the calibre of Lizzie Arnott, Zoe Ness, uh, not just scoring goals themselves but creating chances for others, uh, you're, you're always always going to be in, in with a with a shout of putting a performance like this one. And uh, poor Lauren Perry, the fourth goalkeeper last week, we was praising her, scoring a goal against Hearts late on and her, te- her team obviously qualifying for the Euros. This time she conceded 11. How will how down will the fourth players be feeling after being on the end of such defeat, Emma? Yeah, I think, like... Obviously, like Lauren's a really good goalkeeper as well, so um, I think it shows the quality of Rangers there as well to be able to put eleven past her like that. Because I think so far she's been brilliant in the league, so um, it shows as well the quality that Rangers have got. But 
I think what Forford have got to do is just dust themselves down and almost forget about that game. I think like it's difficult. They're obviously playing against a team that not only have got the quality, but also had, had a point to prove the previous week. And I think um, Malky and, and, and Kevin in there would have been saying to the girls that it probably just needed to go and get a bit of confidence and, and, and just absolutely attack for for as much as possible and, and get those goals in to build on the confidence. And you could see there wasn't any holding back with that either. So unfortunately, Forfar were, were, were coming up against a team that were out to prove a point and, and that's difficult to do as well. Um, and you could see that. I think Rangers had an opportunity to make a few changes that maybe you know, give other opportunities for some players, but you could see they went out with a strong squad with the intention to score a lot of goals and they, they realised that's important to, to do that in this league to get a goal difference. So, yeah, um, I think Forfar just need to almost dust themselves down. There's, I mean, there's going to be other games where, you know, it'll be really challenging for them, but I guess for them, it's it's picking up the points that they can against the, the opposition that they, they know they, they can get the points off of, but yeah, I'm sure they could also be disappointed, but I guess like this is a, where you see, see that true resilience or mentality of a group of players when when things like this happen. And um, yeah, I'm I'm sure that you know Forfar have been fighting really hard this season. Um, and the, again, they did this before the the lockdown break. They made it really tough for a lot of teams. So I'm sure they'll they'll just uh, write this one off and and, and re- regroup and focus again. That's all they can do. Yeah, and that this is how it comes on to our next question. I'm kind of waiting to reword it, but the reason I asked you that was Aberdeen, like in SWPL2, obviously had that shock defeat to Partick Thistle, and that's how Kelly Forrest spoke about some stern word, words being spoken about on the bus and everything. Just sometimes that's needed after a defeat like that. The players and managers can vent the frustration, and then you bounce back better. Yeah, I guess it depends on the situation. So for me... Uh, in, in that instance, the Partick Thistle game, um, I felt it was very uncharacteristic of us and I felt like um, some of the attitudes and the way we played was questionable. So I felt like that conversation and that words needed to be had at that time. Um, I think at times as a manager, you've, you've, you've got to sort of un- know when's the right time to, to do it. And sometimes it has to be done straight after there and then because you have to have those conversations when your emotions are that high um, and, it, and it definitely helps and I felt that game needed it um, straight after um, many other games that we've played I, I would maybe wait until the Tuesday that we regroup again but I felt like that needed to be addressed because I felt like there was some issues in that game that I wasn't happy about as a manager and the players needed to know that um, and for me I think that was the right thing to do at the time and, and I think we got a good response from it and then went to, I think we got a really good result our next game against St Johnson. I think it was we maybe scored six goals but yeah, I think you've got to know your group of players and know what's acceptable and what wasn't and only Kenny will know that himself if, if he felt that that, that, wasn't an unju- that was an unjustified performance or not and he, has, he would have to make that decision but again, each game will be different. It might have been a different circumstance um, for me, the players let me down against Partick Thistle, and at times I'll be the first to hold my hands up to say, as a coach or a manager, that I've made mistakes. So, as a group of players, I, I felt it was it was their time to hold their hands up. So, I think it depends on the situation. Yeah, I I love hearing that from a manager's perspective 
on that. But we'll go back to the Rangers game and Colin, the goals were shared around the team. Is that even more important since they're without the star striker, Kirsty Howitt, who's been ruled out for the rest of the season, for the, for the remainder of the season? I, th I think it is. Uh, maybe not as far as just to build up confidence uh, within the rest the, the rest of the girls. Like, we don't have our main, main striker up top yet. We've just put 11 goals past a team. It doesn't matter what team that is. The fact that they've managed to score 11 goals is just it's, it's incredibly impressive in 90 minutes worth of football. They've managed and they've managed to score 11 goals. Uh, the, pick, the pick of the bunch for me was Ness's chip. Like, it was the eighth. Like, that was just I was just sublime for me. Like, it doesn't matter what level of the game you're playing at. Like, that technique to get the ball from where she is over over the keeper and under the bar was unbelievable. But I think the definitely to, to share the goals about it builds confidence as a team as well as the individual confidence of the girls who are scoring the goals. Yeah, and especially if it's going to come down to goal difference, with it being so tight between the teams, every goal could matter. Yeah, definitely. So we'll now move on to Motherwell, who lost 3-1 to Spartans. Goals from Sarah Cleland, Becky Galbraith and Michaela Maloney cancelled out a Nicole Pula strike to see Spartans to victory at Ainsley Park. You watched the game, Peter. What was your thoughts on, from both sides? Well, uh, first of all, to be honest, I thought that Motherwell competed really well. Um, obviously, they had a, a heavy defeat to um, Glasgow City um, not too long ago. And having watched those highlights coming into this game, I didn't see it going too well for them, to be honest. Um, but yeah, they competed really well uh, in the first half. They... They drew level uh, at one point through Nicole Puller. Um And to be honest, they had other chances. Um, defensively, uh, Lauren Gallant made a, a great goal line, goal line block um, to save save a shot from Cat Smart. Um, and yeah, I thought the Spartans created uh, created a lot. Alana Marshall was, was brilliant. Uh, seemed to be the one player on the pitch who could pick out that, that final pass. Um, other other players threatened, uh, you know, kind of managed to beat their beat their defender, and again, just the, the final final pass was lacking. Um, there should have been more goals in this one, I would say, given how, how open it was in the midfield. Uh, but, but like I said, the the final bit of quality seemed to be missing, uh, whether it was the the final pass or the finish, because uh, both sides missed a couple of really nice chances. Um, Motherwell threatened from set pieces, but that was. Uh, in the second half, that was probably about it. They didn't really threaten to come back into the game uh, once once Spartans had, had come back into the lead. Um, as much as I've, I've complimented the defending, well, they will have been disappointed with the goals you know, as individual events. Um, I mean, the, the third one in particular, long ball up the park, goalkeepers come rushing out when perhaps would have been a better place to stay, uh, to, to stay in goals. Um, to be fair, it's a great finish from Michaela McCallone. Um You know, again, we're talking about Zoe Ness lo uh, with a lovely chip. This was a first-time lob from kind of the left-hand corner of the box, uh, placed to perfection. It was it was a really well-taken goal. Uh, Sarah Cleland also took her, her first one really nicely uh, with a, with a good good strike off her left foot. Um, 
and she she impressed throughout the game as well. Uh, made a lot of good drives forward uh, for her side. Again, sometimes just the, the the final pass was a wee bit off the mark. But positive signs for Spartans. Uh, when we're talking about sides regrouping after difficult uh, difficult runs of form or difficult defeats, uh, I was at their their matches against uh, Rangers and I covered their their game against Celtic, and they've been disappointed to concede as many goals as they did across those two matches. Um, I thought that they, they also didn't provide the threat going forward at all in either match. So I think uh, Dewey McCulloch will have been quite, quite disappointed with that. Um, so to go out here and, and what ended up being a, a pretty hard-fought match uh, to, to come out with a, a really important three points shows kind of the, the calibre of our team and the fight that they've got. Yeah, d- definitely. And from a point of view, they moved off the bottom of the SWPL1 in midweek which was the first win under Inchon boss Stuart Hall. But only some last-ditch defending, from what I gather, kept Motherwell in the game at times. And that's 12 games played and 47 goals conceded, the worst form in the league for Motherwell. How do they stop conceding so many goals, Emma? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult once you've, you know, it's the same, it goes both ways. When you're scoring a lot of goals, that's that's good and you seem to score a lot of goals. But at the same time, when you start to concede a lot, it, the floodgates open and it's hard to, to change that mentality. But I guess probably um, what you've touched on there is about Spartans being organised. And I feel Spartans are a really organised team. They're difficult to break down. I think they are organised. I think... Motherwell probably need to just uh, look at that side of the game a little bit and and Stuart will probably, I know Stuart and I know he's a good coach so um, he'll be thinking about this all the time, I'm sure of it but they'll probably just need to work on probably just look at tightening up at the back making sure they're organised, making sure they're difficult to score against get compact, make it difficult for teams to break the lines um, and then when, they can, when they've got that sorted they can then look to build on that and maybe create a style where they try and counter teams or you know, try and, try and build on that attack inside of it as well but when you're, when you're losing that many goals it's, it's just it's really difficult and you probably just need to, to basically try and shut out shop and, and Give yourself like little objectives each time you go into a game, um, and rather than just looking at right, we need to go and win the next game. Just th- think about breaking that down in parts of the pitch. About right, we're wanting less of this happening, less of this happening. Um, I think when you start to concede can goal, goals, it comes from set pieces, corners, set plays. Work on that at training. Make sure that you know you know how to defend your box, and 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 you work on it at training. That's all you can do really. Is is it? Right, if that's a weakness in your team, focus on that and get it sorted and get it right. And, and I'm sure Stuart will be doing that. But it's it's just the same when you're when you're scoring goals, it seems to happen naturally. And equally, when you're losing goals, it's hard to pick them up again. And and I think the confidence just comes down. But um, yeah, it's just about you know look at look at your next fixtures and set yourself some objectives so that you you know you can go out and achieve those objectives and then take each game as it comes. But definitely need to look at conceding less goals um, and then building on it because you know if, you, if you're conceding that many goals you, you've got to score almost double the amount of goals which is unrealistic so my priority would be working on making sure we're not conceding so many goals. Yeah do you think the fact that there's no relegation this season like I, I watched Motherwell play against Glasgow City in an 8-0 defeat five of the goals were from set pieces as you touch on but do you think there being no relegation has meant that they're not going as cautious as they may like because they didn't seem to change their way too much despite 
the floodgates opening against Glasgow City? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. It's difficult to say unless, like, I'm I'm in that camp and I know what the feelings like and how how people are. But if I'm being honest, I think like it's pride, and I I don't men I don't know many players that like to get beat every week. I don't think that's something that they're they're, they're they want at all. And I think like football's all about you know it's hard to enjoy games when you're losing that many goals and you're conceding that many goals. So I'm sure, um, regardless of the relegation battle. I'm sure they, that they don't want that to be happening, and I'm sure that they they're not. It, it's not great for them. So I, I'm not really sure if, if that plays a huge part in it. Um, I mean, it, it it might it might do subconsciously. I think because you you know subconsciously you know that there's no real battle there that you need to win. But I, I don't think you'd you'd want to be to be um not winning football matches I think that's what you you step out on the pitch for and most people that's why we play is, is that we want that that feeling as well isn't it so De- yeah 100% I think though definitely so Spartans now have a six point cushion between them and fifth place Hibs do you think Spartans can maintain that position through to the end of the season Colin I, th- I think it'll be hard to, to maintain it they're in a good position for now but seeing the way that Hibs have been playing as we've said they've they've been very unlucky in the last kind of couple of games that they, they are playing well um although it's hard to see to see by Spartans for for keeping that that position purely because they were pegged back by a hard a hard fighting motherwell they didn't they weren't they didn't look as if they gave up at any point in which there was a point earlier in the season when I went and seen them with Celtic up at the Excelsior Stadium where they fought hard for 45 minutes and then once a couple of goals went in it did look as if they just kind of tapered off it didn't look like that for me when I was watching the game back so I think Spartans are in a, are in a good position at the moment but definitely with uh, with Hibs playing as well as they can, it's going to be a it's going to be a hard fought battle for that position at the end of the season. I think as well. I think with Spartans, what you do get is defensively a, a solid team that you know don't concede many goals. They're really organised, they're structured. But I guess if you're looking at the two teams, I think if Debbie's going to look at anything, it would be you're already touching it is try to score more goals. I think that's going to be the critical stage for me. I, I think at the moment I can see Hibs scoring more. Um, and I think Spartans are good defensively, so I think if Debbie can add that to that that Spartans game where they're scoring a lot more goals more openly, I think they would be a huge a huge contender for fourth place. But um, yeah, I think if Hibs find a bit of rhythm, I think they are more naturally a team that do find the back of the net once they maybe find their rhythm a bit more. So that to me will be the, the critical stage as well. This is it. I think Spartans. I think you can't deny that they're. They're compact, they're organised, they work really hard and if they can add that intensity and a bit of a threat in the final third as well, it'll just make them that bit stronger and harder to, to beat for that fourth place spot. Yeah, definitely. And lastly, on this game, Emma, with Spartans announcing their plans to go semi-pool from next season, do you feel like Aberdeen should invest more in their women's setup if slash when you get promoted in order to compete at the top end of the SWPL1? Yeah, I have to say, like I was impressed with um, Debbie's um, comments and 
And I think like questions are being asked of the whole entire league, whether you're SWPL one or two, when when clubs are investing more and you see Rangers and Celtic more. Um, look, and I know Aberdeen is a club. We we want to compete, so I'm I'm sure that that investment comes as well once once we get there. But we we've always had the same that we develop together. So that's been something that we've bought into as a club and as a team. Is is it? You need to, we we almost feel we need to earn that right as well. So that's what's driving us as well. This is it. You know, we know that we've got to perform on the pitch, and we know that we've got to show that we can compete, get into SWPL one, and then obviously as as that happens, you'll see more investment in the club for sure. Um, that comes naturally anyway with criteria with the SWF etc. Where you have to meet minimum requirements etc. But um, yeah, for us, we're kind of fortunate and unfortunate at times in Aberdeen that we've got no direct competition in terms of people, locality, etc. So we tend to be able to keep players. However, university can play a big part. And that, that for us is the, is the big turning point. It's not necessarily about being a professional team. It's that a lot of our players will move to go pers- you know, pursue education in Glasgow or Edinburgh. Um, some of them went to the Performance Academy, Shannon McGregor's, um, Rachel Boyles. All of these people have moved away from Aberdeen. So for us, we've got a different a different um, problem to solve than a lot of other clubs. But um, I think each club are, are now trying to find different ways to compete. And that's exciting. And, and I think Aberdeen will, will definitely adapt and develop to, to find a way to compete in the SWPL one without a doubt. And... Um, Aberdeen are a proud club and um, we'll want to be competing so it's exciting times I think just not just for just for Aberdeen but the whole of the league because I think there's now you know everyone's looking to get that extra how can we now compete in in, in that top half of the league and, and making changes and I think what Debbie did was really big and bold and I really like that and I think there's more to come from all the other clubs and yeah um, for me I think that was a great statement for Spartans and they're a great community club so um, what they do on and off the pitch is spectacular so to see them you know do that for the women's team as well is brilliant so I think it's uh, especially from a club that's not under a, a professional banner to say to be able to do that in Glasgow City has obviously been doing that for so long now so there's so many different ways you can do it um, and it's nice to see all these options being explored in, in Aberdeen. I'm sure won't be far behind them. Yeah, definitely. Well, here's hoping Dave Coymack or whoever has that decision at hand can do that in future. But we'll move on to the final game from Sunday. Glasgow City picked up yet another win to keep up their 100% record since the restart. Vincilla Chinchilla's early strike gave City an early lead before debuting Kaylin Mickey's curling effort doubled the lead before the break. In the second half, Julia Mullen made it three before Joe Love tapped home to secure the victory. They just keep winning, Colin. You watched the game. What was your overall thoughts? Was it just one-way City pressure again? Um, I think that was, a, that was an understatement. The, the, the one thing that, that Hearts can take from, from that performance is that Ailey Tebbett was absolutely outstanding. She, she ended up going off injured late in the second half, but actually I was I was that's the first time I've seen Hearts, but I was really impressed 
with, with her performance. Um, the, the one as well from the Glasgow City side uh, was Priscilla Chinchilla. Like, she was just, she was involved in absolutely everything going forward. Um, the front, the, the front players, uh, I forget who it was It was playing up top with her. It was Phil no. I believe I'm saying that properly. Yeah. Um, Davidson and Koval, they started in the wing as well. And literally, it was just, they, they were involved in, they always looked dangerous, but Chinchilla was was involved in absolutely everything. And it was actually, it was a pleasure to watch the last time I'd seen Glasgow City was against Sparta in the Champions League. And uh, I thought they were, I thought they were a bit hard done by that night. And they definitely weren't hard, they were probably hard done by, and Sunday to only have four goals, in all honesty. Um, but yeah, Hearts defended pretty, pretty resolutely after the first, the opening nine minutes. I think they kind of they, they woke up a wee bit late. Uh, it's a kind of cliche thing to say. They just kind of needed the, those to concede those two goals just to kick into gear. But um, it was a pretty resolute uh, defending performance from Hearts. Um, you could have looked at it as a, a training ground attack versus defence for the majority. There was a few times, kind of start of the second half, Hearts did come out and it looked as if they wanted to get on the ball more. They wanted to put their foot in the ball and start moving it about. They did have a couple of good counter-attack opportunities, but it just didn't really materialise it. And when you're absorbing that amount of pressure from, let's, let's be honest, the, the, best, the best team in the league, it's... It's not only going to end one way, and and it did. It, it could have been more. There were a lot more. Um, there was Chinchilla actually missed a penalty um, towards the end, towards the end of the the end of the second half. Um, Parker Smith, who was at fault uh, for one of the Glasgow City goals, she did come out and flap at a ball um, that allowed. Uh, a, Mall, uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't Mullen. Um, who was it that scored the third goal? Uh, Robertson, just to pop to pop the ball home. Uh, but yeah, definitely could have been could have been five. But she definitely redeemed herself. It was a, a it was a great penalty. Like you can't. Put, it was put put in the side. It's hitting the side netting. If it goes past the goalkeeper, it just she she guessed right and and went early. And it was it was a fantastic save. So. Um, both Hearts goalkeepers kept kept the score down. Um, I, I would say definitely it was a lot. It was a brilliant game to watch. Yeah. So you speak about Pintilla Chinchilla, Colin, and how she's hit the ground running. She scored during the week, and then she scored again on Sunday. Kaylin yeah. Mickey also got a debutant goal. How good is Scott Boob's recruitment proven to be, Peter? With so many of the new signings hitting the ground running early into the Glasgow City careers? I think he's done, done a great job. You can see by the results on the pitch. Um, I remember the kind of the first league game back after the restart, um, I was really impressed by their centre-back pair, and, and particularly uh, Asgrim's daughter, um, who stepped in beside Van Wick at the centre defence and looked completely confident, you know, really strong in the air. Um, and again, it's just the, the partnerships that they seem to be forming from a very early stage is really impressive. They must have a, a, a really good team ethic there. Um, whether it's Chinchilla and Fulotadilu up front uh, or the, the, the pair at centre-half, um, 
they, they all seem to gel together really well from an early stage. So I think that speaks volumes about the culture uh, at Glasgow City, which year after year keeps kind of churning out results. Yeah, we speak about how good Glasgow City have been this season, except from obviously their defeat to Rangers just for Christmas. But what's the strongest team you've come up against in your managerial career, Emma? Um, that's difficult. I think, like, yeah, I probably have come up against a good few teams. And to be honest, probably when I've been involved in management, it always probably has been Glasgow City um, and, and, and had quite a few heavy defeats to them as well. But um, I think historically Glasgow City have always been really, really strong um, in terms of, like, since I've been involved in management. So... I always think that any team facing Glasgow City is going to have a really difficult time. And, and that's down to probably just more than just what happens on the pitch, right? More than what just happens in the manager's perspective. It's it's, it's the club, it's the whole structure that, you know, they've managed to build there and, and, and Laura and that working so hard to build that structure and, and to be so successful. And, and you're right, it won't probably just be Scott Booth involved in that recruitment process. There's probably a few people involved in that. So that's credit to the whole club, I think. And most people who have played for Glasgow City or have been involved in Glasgow City have, have almost got that little like burn stamp on their arm or that tattoo that says that they played for Glasgow City. They do it with so much pride, don't they? Um, so I think probably I would say that most of my my matches as a manager against Glasgow City have been really challenging, um, and it's really difficult for any club I think when you're when you're coming up against them to try and figure out how to how to counteract that or how to how to manage that and and get something out of the game at all, um, if anything. So yeah, I think always really found it difficult against Glasgow City teams, and that's that's been over you know, a long period of time now. So it's it's a, a huge success to the club. Yeah, so after this week's round of double round of fixtures, it's 11 wins from 12 for Scott Booth's side. Would you say that City are title favourites now or is it still too early to call, Colin? I, I think with the with how close it is in points, it is, you can obviously speculate, but it's too early to call at the moment. Um, they definitely, especially with... <laughs> It's hard to rule out any team that's just went and scored 11 goals. Like, I couldn't sit here and confidently say, oh, nah, it's, it's signed, sealed, delivered. Like, when when, when they've, uh, they've obviously they've won at the weekend, it's, and then Rangers have went and done that to, <laughs> to offer. So, um, nah, it's, it's definitely not over. There's still a lot to play for. Uh, but, it's hard. It's hard to see anyone catching the runaway train that kind of that is Glasgow City. And Peter, you touched upon last week about Hearts being a team that plays well only for forty-five minutes at times. They're sitting at the bottom of the table, just one win all season. Do you feel the step up to the SWPL one has been too much for the players this season? I don't know. I think, like I said. It- the fact that they do compete for large sections of matches shows that they're they're not completely out of their depth. They're not, you know, they're, they're certainly they're not a bad side. Um, I just think that the likes of your Glasgow Cities, your your Rangers, and even Celtic as well, they they have that effect of wearing teams down. You know, the 
I think it's not just Hearts and Motherwell. We've seen with Forfar Farmington here that you know Rangers and, and, and Glasgow in particular can break down any team in this league on their day. Um, so I, I think when the games get into, as Colin touched on earlier, the attack versus defence style, relentless pressure, I think that would break any team, you know, the, regardless of what level you play at. Um, and when it get, reaches the stage of just trying to keep the score down, it's, it is difficult to motivate yourself in those sort of matches. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's it's been too much of a, a step up or anything. Um, I think that just even with the, the kind of the issues of the, the stoppage to the season, um, and all the off the park drama that's that's you know kind of come with uh, the the current pandemic, um, I, th- I think that it's, it's all all combined to make it a really tough season uh, to to come into the league. Um, but like I said, I think at times they have competed pretty well. And lastly, Emma, on this discussion, your side could be playing these teams in the top division next season. Some players we've spoke about spoke to have been worried about the gap between the top three and the rest of the league growing. Do you, you've, you've touched on it already, but do you feel it's a good thing for the women's games that some teams are now full-time, but some are not, and there is a significant gap between those teams? Yeah, look, I'm sure we'd all be sitting here saying 100% it would be better if it was a more competitive league and, and, and teams were closer in terms of ability, etc. And, and every game was was equally poised but I guess this is this is what we have to accept with the growth of the game and always there's probably going to be this situation where there is in this transitional period and you could probably see see that in a lot of the leagues when when they were in their early stages of growth that you would have this slight unbalance where you have these bigger clubs investing more money and you can see that even in the in the WSL in England at the moment you could probably say that there's a bit of a gap between your Manchester United, Chelsea and Man Cities and and then your Birmingham and, and, and all these other clubs, etc. So um, I think over time, hopefully that will start to balance out. And you speak about hearts a little bit there and, and I agree, but I think in the development process of hearts as a club, they're so young, right? They've not... And, and you see... Glasgow City and I think Celtic and Rangers are slightly different in terms of that level of investment they've put in it's been able to be really quick but some teams will take some time to develop and I think like we have to give we have to give it time as well and we have to give clubs like Hearts, Aberdeen, uh, whether it be Motherwell or uh, Hamilton, Kilmarnock, whoever it is just need time to develop as well and and hopefully um, compete and, and you see like we've spoke about Spartans investing, we'll hopefully start to see more and more investment going into the women's game, um, and so that 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 gaps will eventually, hopefully, um, get lower. I guess, like from my perspective at the moment, what's great to still see is is that there's still an opportunity for young players at a lot of these clubs. So, if you mention some of the clubs that um, are maybe towards the bottom half, what we'll tend to find is that they're they're quite full of younger players that are still getting a lot of game time, which is good for the growth of the women's game in Scotland and the Scottish national team as well, remember. So I think like at, at the moment, as much as like um, we maybe do want a more competitive league, at least we're, we've still got a bit of growth for these young players. And I know from my perspective, 
our average age of our squad's 19, 20 years old. So I think Hearts is similar. And so you're finding young international players playing um, in, at the highest Scottish league, which is brilliant for Scotland and hopefully national teams in the future. Um, I think if we were a, a league, an SWPL, one full of, you know, Celtic Rangers and Glasgow City with these older experienced players, it might be more challenging for that to happen. So at the moment, we've got a really good balance of still being able to get young players game time and experience that they need. And I guess we just we just need to give it time and people need to be patient that it'll take some time before it'll be... Um, the league and the, a really competitive league with with all hopefully twelve teams competing once it becomes an SWPL ten team twelve team, so yeah, it's it's hopefully ahead 